opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. On this program, we discuss recently the unlegalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who helped combat it. Today is March 15th broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. We're 11 weeks deep into 2017, and Trump mania already has most of the nation losing their damn minds and their ability to reason. On this day in history during 44 B.C., Gaius Julius Caesar, dictator of Rome, was stabbed to death in the Roman Senate House by 60 conspirators led by Marcus Junius Brutus and Gaius Cassius Longinus. They called it the Ides of March. It was Caesar's final call. Which reminds me, we are just five short months away from the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington. Look, I've got 99 stories and enough time for about five. We've got nails, you've got hammers, so let's hammer some nails. Slavery enthusiasts slash Iowa talk show host Jan Nicholson and genocidal racist white supremacist Iowa Representative Steve King are both about to get the gas face new abolitionist style. We'll give you the whole pie, 2017, courtesy of the Prison Policy Initiative. We'll go in on the class action lawsuit against the GEO group by as many as 60,000 immigrant detainees who are being used for slave labor. We plan to talk about the state of Missouri and the insanity which keeps popping up out the dirt like a state crop from a new video of the Ferguson incident to debtors' prisons. It is madness, I tell you. The SPLC is kicking behind and taking names in Alabama. We can learn a thing or two as they set precedents that can be carried across the entire nation. Now, everybody knows it, from the former DOJ to the Supreme Court to sheriffs in Houston. What do they know? Cash bail is a rampant constitutional violation of the Eighth Amendment. Now you know what to expect, so let's get to it. Our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Andrew Leander Wilson, 62, who was exonerated today 
by Los Angeles judge after 30 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. Our abolitionist in profile will be David Ruggles, 1810-1849, abolitionist, businessman, journalist, and hydrotherapist whose birthday is today. If you have a question or a comment, you can call toll-free from the U.S. and Canada at 866-510-9025. That's 866-510-9025. Listen or call in with web-based flash phone. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash blacktalkradionetwork. Once again, I'm Max Parthas, and this is my first time back in a couple of weeks. What's happening, Scotty? Hey, Your Honor. Hey, what's going on, Max? Uh, Johanna hasn't joined us yet. Hopefully, he'll be joining us uh, shortly, as soon as he's able. Um, man, I'm I'm be honest, man. I'm not all the way 100%. This crazy weather, um, one day it was snowing, and you probably saw this, Max. I ain't never see, seen anything like it. I wake up one morning, about 9 o'clock in the morning, look out the window, it's snow everywhere. You were thinking we was in the dead of a winter storm during December or something. And then two hours later by noon, all all of the uh, snow was gone and it was warm. I mean, this weather has just been so crazy that I just can't seem to shake this cold. And I've been feeding the cold and, and taking all the things that people recommend that I take and I just can't seem to uh, kick this cold, man. So that's how I'm doing. Wow. So that's that's uh, that's really not anything compared to what people are going through. Uh, what we talk about on this program. I was actually just looking well, at my Twitter account, um, and I'm glad people are sharing the article uh, written by a former slave who said I was a slave working under the California Department of Corrections. So I tell you, just when I think, you know, sometimes when we think we have something to complain about, I mean, there are just so many people doing, uh, worse than we are. Yeah, this is certainly true, brother, but you know, uh, we all have our own issues and burdens to bear, you know what I mean? And, uh, uh, if you are ill right now, I'm praying that you get better because, uh, you know, the world needs you, brother. You, you are like HQ Central right up in here right now. Uh, will we be able to play a video today? Uh, sure. Okay, great, great. Just making sure. Um, man, it's been a heck of a few weeks. Uh, I have been so busy. I've gotten some projects that have been in the wings. I have to try to get done, done some major projects, too. We just released the new abolitionist mix through Whisper Words Poetry, which has been around since 2004 and really helped define a lot of what uh, the spoken word industry was doing in the way of trends with mixes like that. And it's a powerful, powerful presentation on video. So uh, I would suggest if you haven't, check out whisperedwordspoetry.com, the new abolitionist mix. It is literally our story. Uh, we break it down through music and poetry and speeches of some of the greatest and most powerful activists of our age, uh, literally with the visuals to go with everything. It's, it's like must-see, definitely. Even some of the studies we've done here on New Abolitionist Radio, like Ferguson is America, have been transformed and integrated into spoken word presentation. You'll love it. So, yeah, man, it's did that. I've done a few workshops, uh, been reaching out to some organizations and helping to get people to come to the August 19th Millions for Prisoners March on Washington. We've been having some great success with that. 
just got off the phone with critical resistance today, and they're considering supporting the march. Uh, we expect them to get back to us soon, as well as some contacts in the CBC, Congressional Black Caucus. So this thing is growing, and they know what we're about. Yes, it's growing. I would like to see it grow some more and see some organizations sign on. Um, I was looking up some information. Uh, there was a report that was posted in BTR community about some disinformation that is being put out by the American news media that they just passed a bill in Venezuela to force people's labor, calling it slavery. And it is totally false. Uh, it's a voluntary program. People know they're suffering from an economic uh, collapse. And let's just say I believe it was engineered by outside forces. But Venezuela was one of the countries that a U.N. peer review tabled um, the 13th Amendment for the United States to address and pointed out that they practiced in slavery, not just against not just against the African-American, but also against those uh, quote unquote undocumented workers out there laboring in those fields. And, you know, I've talked about that before. People talk about the immigration issue and they picking sides and stuff. I don't hear nobody raising the issue that they are being enslaved on many of these farms and whatnot. And Venezuela had pointed that out a long time ago. But a lot of, you know, a lot of the destinations that these undocumented are headed for are core civic and geo group facilities. And that's one of the stories I think we'll be talking about again uh, later on on tonight. Yeah, they're going straight into those facilities, as you said. And, you know, recently, through research, I found out that the GEO Group also manages Guantanamo Bay. The yeah. prison in Guantanamo Bay is also managed by the GEO Group. Yeah. And then, you know, I dug a little deeper, and I found out that they were also managing the facilities that the Haitian immigrants are stuck in, which is just terrible. Like in humane circumstances. And again, it's the same company that manages the prisons in uh, California or Maine or, or, yeah, or but, Michigan. But, you know, we should be seeing more organizations. And my point was is that Amnesty International was one of those groups talking about this in another country. And I'm trying to remember, and I looked it up, Max. Now, I know they have carried on campaigns for some Black Panthers who were political prisoners like the Angola Three. I've seen them push campaigns for Mamiya. But I tried to find if they ever addressed, because they're supposed to be a human rights organization. And how can you talk about human rights and not talk about the biggest human rights abuser on the planet practicing slavery to the point that they have the largest prison slave population on the planet? How can you not, how can that not be a part of what you're pushing out to your 7 million users. So I'd like to see more groups like that uh, sign on to this Millions for Prisoners Human Rights campaign. You know? So right now, it yeah. kind of looks like how the March on Washington about 40, 50 years ago, I, I don't know exactly, but remember the March on Washington where Dr. King gave his... I have a dream speech and whatnot. That was was originally organized by grassroots organizations, like the grassroots organizations who are organizing this march now. 
So I just thought about it, you know, and, and we should be on our guard that we don't have people trying to pump money to push money to us um, and other little butter biscuits and positions and stuff like that to try to water it down and turn it over to somebody else. The grassroots need to remain in control and control of this. So that but right now it seems to be that. You know, it's just the grassroots organizations that are, that are pushing this. But I, I do want to continue to out, outreach to some of these larger organizations, if not for, just for the purpose to show you that they ain't who they really claim to be. And they're not really uh, uh, fighting against slavery and human trafficking. They just you know, into that reform type thing to where they can mitigate the damage to the system. We trying to tear it down. Yes, yes. Uh, and you, you're, you're also right about it with, with uh, Venezuela. They came out about that 13th Amendment too during the Human Rights Conference uh, pointing it out in particular. Man, some of these groups you do have to keep your eye on. Uh, and, you know, we've had our issues with uh, abolitionists groups that are doing different abolitionist work or even not doing work but claiming abolitionist status such as slavery and enslaverynow.org you know, use the likenesses of Frederick Douglass Harriet Tubman, but you don't find them actually trying to end institutional slavery, like they don't even recognize it, they don't see it <laughs> to them it doesn't exist so we've been fighting for years now it, us in particular, just to get them to wake the hell up and take a look, to consider our point, even if, even if just for a moment, just to think about it. And uh, yet we haven't had much success in those endeavors. And, and then at the same time, we also have kind of a twisted narrative with prison abolition and slavery abolition, which are not exactly the same thing. We're not focused solely on prison. You know, we are literally doing what our ancestors did fighting institutional, legalized, state-sanctioned slavery, where people are openly sold on the open market, international market, where you can buy human beings and auction them off and work them and own them as property. You know, uh, prison abolitionists want to end prisons as we know it, but that's not the beginning of the story, nor is it the end of it. Prisons are merely the crossroads where all of this energy combines to generate these huge incomes that create economic development programs for our own oppressors. You know, Max, um, since you raised that point, I had I had made an appearance on Tanya Free and Friends talk show uh, to talk about slavery, and somebody had posted a comment that they wanted me to address, and they asked me, well, what about prisons? Do you believe prisons should be abolished? And I was honest with the person. I said, I'm not quite there yet. I was like, if somebody raped my daughter or murdered my daughter or, or, or something like that, I don't think they should be allowed to just, you know, walk around like nothing happened and, and be in this stress-free environment. And, and you know, I, I can understand where, why people can't grasp their mind around that. Not saying, not saying, you know, that the prison abolitionists, I need, I need more information about it. But right now, I'm going to say the same thing that I said to law enforcement against prohibition, which those, um, that organization of former cops, judges, lawyers, guards, and, and people like that who are trying to end the drug war, 
and they want to legalize and tax and regulate all drugs because they say the drug war is a complete failure. So I had mentioned to their CEO that I was like, you know, perhaps you need to focus on legalizing cannabis since there seems to be momentum for that and get that first domino to fall. And so that I'm going to apply that to what we're talking about. I mean, you want to abolish prisons, right? But it's my understanding that if you're in slavery, a whole bunch of prisons going to close anyway. So let's in, let's focus on ending slavery and we'll figure out the other stuff later of what we do with murderers and rapists and, and all of that. I, I'm going to be honest as an abolitionist, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to shut down all the prisons. I don't. I don't. I. I. You know, just don't think. Pe- I think people should um, face some sort of punitive. You know, um, damages for violating another human being. There's something's got to be done about that. But. You, you, slavery ain't the answer. Putting them into slavery ain't the answer. Okay? Um, and it's not about rehabilitation or correcting any type of behavior. It's all about slavery and, and making a profit off of these bodies. So that's what I'll say to those who may, um, be pushing for the end of all prisons. I do agree there needs to be prison reform. Now, I'll go with the reform on you there, but at the end of the day, you know, the problem is slavery. I, You know, people can say it's this, that, or the other, but based on my studies, the problem originates with slavery. Um, yes, indeed, you're right. And like yourself, I have been involved in public discussions, uh, both uh, physically, face-to-face, and also online about these very same things. And like you and other slavery abolitionists uh, that I know of, uh, we know that we live in a country where there are sociopaths, where there are psychopaths, where there are people who should not simply be around society for whatever the reasons. But we also know that as much as little as 40 percent and as much as, say, 70 percent of our prison population shouldn't even be in there. That is something that would literally be the legacy of slavery because it's that moment in 1865 where they changed us from being property called slaves to being criminals and then tossing us in with criminals, expecting nobody to be able to tell the difference as long as they criminalized our lives. So uh, I would think that we would have a reduction of prisons by as much as 70%, bringing up as much as $150 billion a year just from the Department of Corrections budget. Because, you know, we broke the news here a few weeks ago. I think it was the last week before I, 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 I took some time off. We found out that it wasn't $80 billion that the government was uh, spending on the Department of Corrections. It was $182 billion, nearly double what they thought it was. <clears throat> actually more than double what they thought it was. So that would free up a lot of resources that we could use for things like mental health, addiction treatment, rebuilding communities, providing job training for uh, people who have to transfer now into society and may need some kind of help along the way, whether it be for mental health or just training or whatever it may be. But we expect that at least 70%, 40 to 70% of the prison population would no longer even be there. 
so that budget is not even applicable. The same thing I suspect for the police force. We have over a million police, and if you remember, in 1994, 100,000 at least were added just because of the crime bill. Every time they want a job boost, they keep building prisons and hiring more prison personnel from uh, courts to probation officers. And all these people earn a living off of how many people are incarcerated to the point where some of these towns fall completely apart without their prison uh, and lament the losses of their prison. So I would suspect we can go from a million law enforcement somewhere down to around, around half of that. Because most of them don't even, the only reason you got a job is because slavery exists. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but that is the truth. And just like those people who were incarcerated, you will be jobless and need some kind of training or some kind of reintegration into society that doesn't involve the slave trade. Agreed. Yeah, it'll be a lot of different things. And, and I just like want, that. Max, I also, um, yes. I want people to to realize, though, that how slavery remains a main pillar of the so-called American economy. It ain't never went away. Do you, man, come on. Do you know how many slave catchers are employed today? Close to, what, a half a million or something like that? So this law enforcement. These people trying to, and, and that's not even including the guards. And, and so, you know, that is why they don't want to to end it. That's why there's so much resistance to ending slavery. Because, they, I mean, all, all of this stuff about being a producer and manufacturing and, and all of this great nation and, man, slavery is the main employer in this country. Right now, slavery, some way through slavery, you know, and then I've been talking about the stock market over the past couple of days. People just don't realize how difficult it is to find slave free services, all the telecommunication companies. I mean, major uh, retail distributors are using prison slave labor. So I'm like, I wonder if people really, really get that, man. Uh, it's it's hard to get it out there, but, you know, we're struggling not only to reach people who have already been indoctrinated into false beliefs, but also we're fighting against the mainstream media who is directly in bed with these people. I mean, they can't even report on what we talk about. They can't even bring it up as a topic of conversation because many of their major sponsors directly are involved in it. They're using prison slave labor. You'd be surprised some of the, well, not you, but the audience would be surprised some of the companies that are using prison slave labor, like AT&T, who has call factories in prison. But at the same time, the CEO can come out with a video about how he's, how black lives matter. <laughs> You're saying it out of one side of your face while paying your employees inside the prison 12 cents an hour or a dollar an hour. Say, or say they, uh, it, it certainly does matter yeah. to their bottom line, don't it? <laughs> right, right. You know, we know how greedy uh, these people are for power and how little they are concerned with human life, particularly with black human life. You know, that was why the whole phrase Black Lives Matter had to become a part of the American lexicon because it was being shown that black lives do not matter. As a matter of fact, <sighs> we're getting into the 20 minute mark. I wouldn't mind 
transitioning into the first story, if, if, unless you have something you want to cover, Scotty. No, go ahead, Max. Well, the first story, let me give you this setup, is Jan Nicholson. Jan Nicholson and Scotty, you've already shared this and talked about it before, I'm sure. But Jan Nicholson is a Iowa broadcaster, a very popular uh, conservative uh, guy who has also been a primary speaker at uh, Freedom Summit, where he espoused genocidal thoughts. And then he prides himself on the fact that he's had all of the Republican candidates for the 2016 election as guests on his show. And he still is in direct contact with many of them, giving them these ideas that we're going to play right now here on uh, New Abolitionist Radio, on Black Talk Radio Network, that show them how they can use the resources that they already possess in order to enrich themselves at the cost of lives and freedom. So let's play Dan, uh, Jan Nicholson's audio and let him tell you exactly what he thinks is a brilliant idea. Now here's what would work. And I was asked by, uh, by uh, an immigration open borders activist a couple of weeks ago how I would get all of the illegals uh, uh, here in the state of Iowa to leave. Well, I said, well, if I wanted to do that, I'd just put up some signs. Well, what would the sign say? Well, I said, well, uh, I'd put them uh, on uh, the end of the highway on western part of uh, the, the the interstate system and i put them on the uh, eastern side of the the state right there in the interstate system and then the north on the minnesota border and uh, on the south uh, kansas and in, in a missouri border and i would just say this as of this date whatever it's, uh, we decide to do this uh, as of this date 30 this is a totally arbitrary number 30 to 60 days from now Anyone who is in the state of Iowa that is not here legally and cannot demonstrate their legal status to the satisfaction of the local and state authorities here in the state of Iowa become property of the state of Iowa. So if you are here without our permission and we've given you two months to to leave and you're still here, and we find that you're still here after we've given you the deadline to leave, then you become the property of the state of Iowa. And we have a job for you. And we start using uh, uh, compelled labor. The people who are here illegally would therefore be owned by the state and become an asset of the state rather than a liability, and we start inventing jobs for them to do. We say, hey, uh, we're not going to make Mexico pay for the wall. We're going to invite, though, illegal Mexicans and illegal aliens to build it. We will compel your labor. You would belong to the uh, these United States. You show up without an invitation. You get to be uh, an asset. This is Fred. Good morning, Fred. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. I, I, your idea is clever on the face, but it sounds an awful lot like slavery. I don't. I think it goes over like a lead below. So. Uh, no, I just you just read the Constitution, Fred. 
What is well, what does the Constitution say about the slavery? Well, didn't we fix that in about 1865? Yeah, we sure uh, did, and I'm willing okay. to live with their fix. What is okay. the thir- what does the 13th Amendment say? Well, you know, I don't have my Constitution in front of me, and, and uh, you know, and, and like I say, it sounds like a clever idea, and maybe it maybe you could make it. Uh, uh, put it in, in action, but I think the fallout would be so significant. Uh, you know, I think. What, what, would the, what would be the nature of the fallout? Well, I think everybody would believe it sounds like slavery. Well, what's wrong with slavery? Well, we know what's wrong with slavery. Uh, well, apparently we don't. All right, Scotty, that's enough right there. You heard it with your own ears. This didn't come out. In 1910, or 1880, or 1970, or 1980, or 2000, this came out last year. While he was interviewing these Republican candidates who all heard it, and none of them decried it. As a matter of fact, as I said, this man has been allowed to stand on the Freedom Summit and espouse the same ideals. And now, because of what he has said, we've seen it actually occur. Um, we know that there are sheriffs out in Massachusetts who have said, look, use our prison labor to build the wall. <laughs> you know, we've seen it in other places like Texas where they said the same thing, even in Colorado, like we're going to be missing some immigrants, so use our prison slave labor. This is not something that he just said out of the blue. He knows exactly how that 13th Amendment works. And in the state of Iowa, they have their own exception clause in their own state constitution, and they've been exploiting it and not on immigrants. Man. In Iowa, there was, yes. I think he was practicing deception. I mean, I, I guess it's possible that millions of people, it is possible. I know it's possible. But he was using words like start. Start means you're not already doing it. But you've been doing this since 1865 when them Confederates got to help write the 13th Amendment. So I felt like it was a lot of deception. This been going on for 150 years, man. You know it, I know it. He knows it. I believe he knows it. But uh, maybe they're practicing deception and trying to say, get people to buy into it. You know, well, hey, hey. We'll make up jobs. Let's put Iowa is Ferguson. Yeah. They know the stats of Iowa. They know what's going on, too. There's a less than 4% black population in the state of Iowa, which is predominantly by far a white state. But of those 4%, they are being incarcerated and arrested at a rate of 14 to 1 per 100,000. They're already doing it in Ohio, but they're doing it to black people. Now they want to expand it out, black and poor whites. Let me not let, let me not be specific, but black and poor whites. Now they want to expand it to this immigration scheme that's going on, where the immigrants are being highly criminalized and turned into commodities. Max, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, um, Minister Farrakhan, uh, somebody published some comments from a recent sermon he gave, and. The sermon, the context of the sermon or the comments I heard, it was like a five-minute clip. He was kind of trying to take up for these undocumented immigrants, and he made an untrue statement about 
Mexico didn't approve of slavery. So I was like, you know me, man. I always got to make sure the facts get put out there. Uh, slave, slavery did exist in Mexico. Okay. They participated in the slave trade as well. Uh, the, the slaughter of the indigenous tribes that was already there. Uh, these are Europeans. Just, they just spoke Spanish and not English. But the same thing, the, English-speaking Europeans did here on this continent. They was doing that in Mexico. It was in 1829 that um, a Mexican president issued a proclamation saying ending slavery in that country. But they even imported African. That's why you have an Afro-Mexican uh, uh, population down there that's still facing the same sort of oppression that we facing. Here, the black people experience here in the United States. So when I put that in there, that kind of opened up a conversation with some people. I guess they were Mexicans, self-identified as Mexicans. And they and I was just reading the comments and they was getting into arguments with other people and calling people niggers, man. And I said, you see that right there? I said to the person who, who made that comment, I said, you see that right there? I said, that's why non-white people can't work together and overcome these issues. I was like, you calling people niggers and Donald Trump about to turn you into a freaking slave. But you're going to certainly uh, want my voice to highlight your plight while you building Trump's wall. So I just anybody that's listening out there, we're going to overcome this beast that has been on this continent operating for hundreds of years. All right. It's going to take, it's going to take some solidarity from the victims of it. It's going to take us all coming together. And, uh, in my opinion, the most opportune moment that we have had in generations coming up on August 19th, when we say millions for prisoners, we don't mean hundreds. We don't mean thousands. We don't mean you have a cookout in honor. We don't mean you start putting together, you know, shows during that time in your city. We mean if it's at all physically possible for you to get up off of your behind and get to Washington, D.C. on August 19th, then a change is coming. But if you sit back and you decide that we can do it without you, then I would just certainly say that at that point you have decided to be the reason we fail, not the reason we succeed. If you can get there, get there. Whether you get there by yourself, with a crowd, with your wife, with your children, walk, crawl, swim, fly, jump out of Paris and use a parachute, it doesn't matter. Just get there. Because in order for us to be respected, we must have power. And if this issue with 24 million people a year going through the prison system and every single person in this country is affected by it some way or how we can't come together on this then there's nothing we can come together on and they are just going to take advantage of us because they have found the limits of our suffering endless I didn't mean to go on at you minor tirade there, but I'm just saying, you, you got to understand that the stars are aligned. Max, Everything we got to be honest, place. man. Hey, you have to be honest. We have to be honest with people. And I just feel like this is an all-hands-on-deck situation. Mm -hmm. 
Because I felt like if my community could solve the problem by itself, it would have done it already, don't you think? So I'm not turning down right. any help, and I want to invite everyone to the march um, in, in August. And just like I put out a couple of, you know, podcasts on, we had all these women turn out in the streets on that one particular day to uh, talk about the misogyny of Donald Trump and his assault on women's rights. And I couldn't help but point out that women are the fastest growing demographic in the prison slave system. And so I didn't hear anybody highlighting the plight of women in modern day slavery and human trafficking as practiced by the United States government and all its uh, um, um, states that's part of the, bought into the corporation. Yes, uh, you know me, man. I, I try not to divide us any more than we already have been divided, and I'm trying to work on getting all our family and friends out, neighbors out, that deserve to be out, that should not even be in there. And to decrease the sense of those who have been unjustly uh, incarcerated for extended periods of time that even the president has had to apologize about. And having just about every case reviewed once again because of institutional racism running rampant. But, you know, the biggest argument I have been finding as of late uh, is between reform and slavery. See, this is like back in uh, before 2007 when Don Lemon and them were talking about a post-racial America and, you know, generally white folks didn't think race was as bad as we were claiming. And we were trying to tell you, but you weren't hearing us until it got smacked right in your face. Well, that's the same problem we're having with slavery. We're telling you this is slavery. We're proving it to you every single day, every week. Every person, every paper, every major paper in this country has published an article saying the exact same thing. Nearly every major media outlet has put out media saying the exact same thing. But we keep telling you, and you keep going, no, no, this is reform. We can fix it. Let's, you know what we can do? We can reduce the amount of money that the prisoners are being charged for phone calls because that is unjust. Uh, we can reduce the number of prisoners in these cells because 16 prisoners in a cell built for two is just not right. See, that's reform. We don't want reform. We want to end this thing from the root to the leaf. It's got to come down. It has to end its slavery and human trafficking legally allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and practiced by every damn city USA. The Department of Justice has investigated and they have reported on all our major cities that rampant institutional uh, racism is involved, that uh, rampant constitutional violations are involved, that even conspiracies that include, and I don't mean conspiracy theories, I mean conspiracy facts that include the court clerks, the mayor, the sheriff, and everybody in between working together to extort people. And this is not made up, this is the truth. Just look it up for yourself. You can hear Eric Holder tell you in no uncertain terms what's going on. You can hear uh, his, um, the person that followed behind him telling you in those uncertain terms what's going on. And we can't seem to get you to get a grip on that. You don't even want to entertain the thought because you spent your whole life thinking that slavery was over. And now you find out that it's not. You're like, nah, that can't exist. No, it's impossible because it'll change your whole damn life. It'll change how you think. It'll change how you act. It'll change how you present 
your conversation about everything you've been doing all these years. You have to come to grips with this and take us serious. We're not talking out our backside. We're presenting the facts, just like we did with racism. You either choose to hear us or you don't. And if you choose not to hear us, that means you're not an ally. You're one of the oppressors. Hey, you know, in terms of that reform message, I saw a video that you shared to New Abolitionist Radio a couple of days ago. I remember Dr. Uh, Mark Lamont Hill. He was talking that reform stuff too, man. But it seems like he's become, he's acquired some more information. And I listened to that video. I thought I was listening to Johanan or Max Parthis on a Wednesday night on New Abolitionist Radio. If you don't mind, Max, I would like to play that because this is what we need. We need those who are showcasing the mainstream media to start speaking the truth. And so I had to give that brother some kudos because it was years ago. He was talking that mass incarceration reform stuff. But now he sounds a whole lot different. Can I go ahead and roll that? Yes, indeed. If you have it set up, go ahead and roll it. There are levels of understanding and maturity that you have to come through with this. I mean, just breaking through the ice to come to grips with it is hard enough. But then you have to start examining things, and he did. So go ahead and play it. You know, when the prison came about, it really came, it's a, in many ways a very American thing. There were other forms of punishment that were similar, but they were very different than what the Americans came up with. We had this idea, and the Quakers in particular had an idea that prison could be something that could be rehabilitative. We came up with the idea of the penitentiary, and at the root of the word penitentiary is penitence. The idea was that you could pay penitence, that you could give penitence, that you could uh, atone for your sins. And so the Quakers decided that they'd create a space where you'd go to this place and you'd reflect. They gave them a Bible. They gave them a bed. They read, they reflected, and they came out into the world better citizens. The problem is when Eastern State Penitentiary was created and these other penitentiaries were created, they weren't created for black and brown folk. And they weren't connected to the economic logic of America. This was a purely a, a project about making white people whole again. Then suddenly when black folk start going to jail, it's a whole other thing. It's no longer about rehabilitation. It's about exploitation. Remember, the prison begins after, uh, after slavery. You know, you had all these people on all these plantations, all these farms who are making money. America is built on the exploitation of black labor. America is built on slave labor. So slavery ends and suddenly the slave codes turn into black codes. Right. Because the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery. Right. But it only abolishes slavery except under the condition of prison. In other words, if you commit a crime, if you're incarcerated, according to the 13th Amendment, slavery is still allowed. So you're technically a slave if you're in prison. Absolutely. You can legally be told what to do. Your labor can be forced, etc. So if if no if, if nobody's a, if you, so think about it, like you need slaves for, to keep the economy going. You don't have slaves anymore unless people commit a crime. So what do you do? You make everything a crime. So suddenly mm -hmm. the slave codes became the black codes. So now black people can be arrested for vagrancy for standing outside, for cursing in front of a woman, for being out of town without a job. All of these things, which are fairly arbitrary crimes, or if crimes at all, they take them and they throw them back into the prison. And then they have something called the convict lease system, where the prison can lease the convicts out to the same plantations they left to do the same work that they did as slaves. So now the slaves 
have become free only to become slaves again through prison. And that is wow. a system that we're dealing with right now, a, a, a new version of the convict lease system. And that's why labor is exploit, exploited. And that's why prisons have become even more for profit. That's why we see more privatization, because people make, a money, make money in this country of exploited labor. And this is one example of it. That was uh, Mark Lamont Hill uh, doing a, a great example of explaining how the 13th Amendment changed slavery from a private institution to a state institution, and then continued its work uh, instead of allowing the individual to own property, people as property, the state took over that job and absorbed it quickly, as if it had been planned in advance. Well, today, though, is right back in the private. I mean, you can become a slaver, Max. All you got to do is buy some yes. shares in Core Civic, Geo Group, MTC, or even buy some shares in Microsoft or or Walmart or any of these companies that utilize prison slave labor. So you, hey, it's a great day to be a slaver. You know, hey, all you got to do is just invest and let somebody else run your plantations for you. It's terrible. It's worse than what it used to be. It's worse. Like you, I am in the unenviable position to be able to tell somebody I know exactly how long it takes for slavery to start from a seed and grow into a global industry once again. It takes 45 years. That's all it takes. I've seen it with my own eyes. As you mentioned, you can now own people once again. And that was something that came into play in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan signed off on the first privately held corporate prison to be introduced in Louisiana, which is a women's prison. And uh, then it was even ex uh, expanded much further in 1994 when the Clintons, in tandem with their crime bill, the Clinton crime bill, also uh, had contracts going with the GEO group, who were formerly known as Wackenhut Corrections Corporations at that time. And they launched their initial public offering in 1994 right along with that crime bill. And we see how they went from there to being what we know now today as the GEO group, which is one of the largest privately held corporations in the entire world, with prisons in every corner of the earth, profiting off of people's misery. 45 years, that's all it takes. Well, I wanted to point out something else about those two videos that you've heard of two men speak. Uh, you heard Jan Mickelson, and you heard uh, Lamont, uh, what's his name again, Scotty? Uh, Anthony Lamont Hill? Mark. Mark right. Lamont Hill. Mark Lamont Hill. Mark Lamont Hill. So you heard Mark Lamont Hill and Jan Mickelson. Jan Mickelson was clear about the exception clause. He knows exactly how it works, and he was uh, proposing to exploit it. Whereas uh, Brother Hill, on the other hand, knows the same thing, and he was proposing that we stop it, that it's a problem causing a human rights violation on a global scale. See the two different mindsets there. Just wanted to point that out. Yeah, that was good comparison and contrast. Perfect. Um, you know, Jan Mickelson, he directly influences a lot of conservative, Republican uh lawmakers, and legislators. One of those would be Rep uh, Representative Steve King out of Iowa, who's a Republican, 
and he has caused some serious controversy, not for the first time, with some of his genocidal racist statements. I mean, he had gotten to the point where he just feels empowered to say these things. You know, if you remember a few years ago, he was on CNN, I believe it was, where he said, where did any other subgroup of people contribute more to civilization? And he was talking about, and he even said it clearly, Western civilization, white civilization. He was denigrating every other culture on Earth as being useless. Like, we have done nothing, and you have done it all. Ever since you climbed out those caves and uh, followed the lights of the stolid old cities of Timbuktu to your riches. But uh, here's some of the things that he said recently in a tweet. Because Wilder understands that culture and demographics are our destiny. We can't restore our civilization with someone else's bait. Now, this is a public tweet by a sitting representative, and he was referring to the Turner Diaries, comparing to the Turner Diaries, which is a white supremacist document book. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And he even took it further. Uh, you know, people were, like, Republicans came out trying to say, no, that's what, not what he meant. He was really not talking about it in that way. But he went even further later on and said, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. Uh, he argued that Hispanics and blacks will be fighting each other before the population of those groups grow larger than that of white people in America. Basically saying we're going to kill ourselves first before we ever attempt to raise a hand towards white supremacy. <laughs> How did the cops say it was before? If we really wanted you dead, we just wouldn't and, uh, enforce anything in your neighborhood. That's how we think. So that's a sitting Congressman Steve King. Have you uh, been reading these things lately there, Scotty, about him? Yeah, um, he said that, well, you already mentioned what he talked about, uh, uh, culture and civilization. And I actually been making videos on what is culture, what's the definition of culture, because people misuse that word. But this also, I was talking to my mom the other day. I said, you know what, mom? I said, you're one of the few, quote unquote, Americans who can actually trace their ancestry back to a so-called uh, uh, American revolutionary. I was like, you know, 2% of, of people in the United States now can actually trace their, um, well, it should be more than 2%. Um, even if we're talking about the black colonists, which nobody wants to acknowledge. But I was saying people like Steve King, I bet you if I looked up his ancestry, uh, he probably, he, he probably traces his ancestry to some boat. Uh, pulling up in New York Harbor in the 1800s. These people have not been here that long. The majority of people classified as white in this system have not been here that long. A lot of them was fleeing the potato famine of Ireland and, 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 um, you know, America opening up its doors because to European immigrants because America was becoming too black. You know what Malcolm X said about that. You know, too black, too strong. Got to put some cream in it. To lighten it up and what have you. And that's what was happening. So for him, this is this is that white supremacy education that unfortunately everybody gets from the public school system. I don't see why people even defend it. When I was reading about, oh, they might eliminate the Department of Education, I was like, so? 
then maybe you'll start educating your own children and learn some truth for your doggone self instead of going to these people being taught a bunch of lies. Because they have totally written uh, our contributions to the creation of this nation out of the books. And so he just represents that alternative history which has been taught as fact in this country. He's He believes that with all his all his might. I just made a post about it the other day about I was just reflecting on something Marcus Garvey had said, uh, incorrectly said about uh, the black men don't deserve to ride on in um, railroad cars because the black men ain't build the railroad. And I reflected on that. I would say that was a hurtful, harmful, anti-black statement for him to say. He must have been ignorant about uh, African Africans here in America's contribution to the railroad industry. So I start posting all of their contributions like Elijah McCoy. Um, you may have heard that term, the real McCoy. Well, he made air brakes for uh, uh, um, uh, railroad, uh, excuse me, rail cars and stuff. He made a number of different inventions and stuff. And so his stuff was so good when other people tried to copy his stuff you know, some bootleg stuff, uh, people was that was purchasing said, no, nah, I don't want that. I want the real McCoy. That's their term. That term comes from Elijah McCoy, an African inventor here in, in America, African-American inventor, whatever label you want to use. And then it was just a whole bunch of other ones who made these inventions and made this infrastructure that we enjoy uh, possible. And they don't get any who kind do you of think mine or. Say that again. Laid out the railroad time. Laid uh, out Washington D.C. See, playing the city of Washington D.C. Benjamin Banneker, and and, and so, mm-hmm. but but then you know when I see people who want to go at Steve King though, they not going at him with these historical facts though. Then it just becomes an argument about you know name calling and that kind of stuff like that. But it, you know, he Logical just policies. yeah, he just he just represents that intentional miseducation of everybody. I'm not just going to say white people because we walk around as people of color not even knowing our own history in this country and that's why some of us are so quick to say, "Well, let's run and go to Africa." Well, why would I build something, fight for it, build it up, make all the kind of contributions and then I'm just going to give it away? and leave it to somebody else and, and, and thinking that, oh, they built it or it's their country, we need to go back. No, that's not true. This is just that we can lay just as much claim to this land in the building of this nation uh, 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 as much as anybody. And then I didn't even mention the stolen labor made to build it. So why would you went back out? So, yeah, man, Steve King has said these things before. Um, it's probably willful ignorance because I'm going to say it is willful ignorance because everybody has access to the same information that I have access to. It's called the information highway for a reason. Use it to look up information, learn about yourself, learn about whatever country you want to learn about and stop just using it to post cat pictures on the Internet. Amen to that. One of the most important documents you can read today is Frederick Douglass's Max. denouncement of the emancipation. We have yes. a caller, Max. Um, 
Uh, we got okay. someone uh, labeled, uh, I guess this is their real name, Stuart Anthony. Would you like to make a question or comment? Thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio. Oh, yeah, this is Tony Crane. Peace. Um, Peace, Tony. Welcome back to the program. Yes, uh, thank you. I was. I would just like to comment um, on that on your last comment. Um, I, I fully agree with you that we have as much claim to um, the lands in North America as anyone else. But um, I also think that some of us, whomever should choose, should go back to go back to the motherland. I mean, we need to go back there. We need to, I mean, that's our homeland, the world, period, if you want to get down to brass tacks. But um, at the end of the day, I think we need to go over there and reunite with our brothers and sisters in Africa if we truly want to unify. Well, we're unifying with them now. Uh, We have a marketing campaign to English-speaking countries in Africa. I just I get phone calls from people all over the world, you know, offline talking to them. So I, I mean, anybody that indeed. wants to go, go. But indeed, for those who don't want well, this is this is my this is my issue, brother. It ain't my issue that they want to go. It's they it's there. It, my issue is when I say I don't want to go, you trying to act like something wrong with me. Ah, well, yeah, no, well, I would, I see, I would never do anything like that. I mean, as long as you're not, um, you know, downplaying the importance of going. I mean, you know, if you don't want to go, that's one thing. But, you know, I would never condescend to you because you you didn't want to go. Right. I mean, like Malcolm X said, build bridges. There is a billionaire in Africa. He's a Nigerian billionaire. Um, Tony, I can't for, I can't remember his last name. He just opened up a portal uh, in January for every black person in the diaspora to submit a business plan, and they're gonna work on funding your plan. But your plan has to be sustainable and uh, 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 creating jobs. So, like you said, bro, really, really, everybody is from Africa. Africans, modern man, as they call them, modern man, populated the entire world. So, the whole planet is ours. That's the way I'm approaching it. Now, if I got some brothers and sisters that's in Africa, um, which do tune in to this station, then they know how I feel, that we need to build economic bridges it, no matter where we are, pan-Africanism, you know, but but for those that want to go, go. But like on Tando Radio Show, we also try to point out to African-Americans that you better have a plan because if you are a retiree and you depending on your pension, well, what's going to happen to you when the American dollar crashes and then you left without any kind of income over there? Just lots of things to think about, bro. But I'm like, everybody has a right to their self-determination. If you determine that that's where you want to be, who am I to tell you that's stupid? Don't go. But then on the flip side of that, who are you to tell me I should abandon this land that literally my family has been occupying before the European invasion? Facts. 
some people have plans like the uh, Republic of New Africa to migrate towards five states. I'm kind of keen on that idea of migration once again, but only after we have accomplished our three primary goals prior to that, which would be end slavery, free the enslaved, negotiate reparations, and then support black autonomy. And black autonomy could come in the form of us migrating to certain states and starting to build our own communities once again and handle our own uh, way of life and govern our own selves. You know, after what we're about to do on August 19th and beyond and the um, yeah, end slavery, cause, the exposure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People are going to realize that just how bad and how much we've had to deal with. And I don't think that many would be willing to stand in our way if we want to decide that we need to govern ourselves. Hey, bro. Hey, brother. What's your, what's your name again? What's your name again? Tony Crane. Hey, Tony, uh, let me ask you this, though, and, and I thank you for for your comments, but let me ask you this. I was thinking about this the other day. One of the, I'm looking at Brazil and the rise of the prison, the expansion of private prisons and whatnot, the American model being exported all over the planet of prison slavery. But then when I look and I see those are all melanated people. And then, you know, now they're based on, on skin tone. Now, you know what I'm saying? Since there's no white people, then now it becomes light skin versus dark skin. And so slavery going to remain even when there's no white people if we don't end slavery. And one of the things we have pointed out on this program, the largest employer on the continent of Africa is G4S. They enslaving, uh, uh, they're employing Africans to enslave other Africans in prison. I'm saying the whole planet is a battlefield. Yeah, right. indeed, this is ground zero right here. This is where slavery really came to be what we know it, even during chattel slavery times, and now during this prison industrial complex, aka modern-day slavery. So. That model has been transported all across the globe. And if we can win here, then they can follow suit and win there, you know. But we've got to make this win. I think the world is waiting for us to do something now. And now is the time. Hey, we're coming up on our first break. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take that. And when we come back, we want to give you a whole pie, the whole pie from uh, Mass Incarceration, the whole pie 2017 from prisonpolicy.org. Very interesting. To find out Before exactly we why. go to break, Max, uh, let's let's allow Tony. Did, Tony, did you have anything else before we go to break? Oh, um, well, yeah, I completely agree that um, the prison industrial complex is just the the brainchild of white supremacy. Um, at the end of the day, we have to destroy it. Uh, you know, they are. You're talking about less than 1% of the population globally is intent on the eradication of all melanated people. So we have to. It's, it's war, mentally and physically. So. Amen. Places like France, where they have 70% of their prison population now is Muslim, primarily black Muslims. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. I'm here with Scotty Reed. Hopefully, we'll get Johanna Zelaya back later on during the evening. Uh, in the meantime, we got a couple messages for you. We'll be right back after this.
The Black Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. Tuned in to Black Talk Radio, new black media for the new millennium. Hey, so welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio, uh, where we're talking about modern day slavery and human trafficking. We're not talking about metaphors or sound like so almost. We're talking about real legalized slavery. Every week we hear, give you more proof and show you how it's happening and who's doing it, where it's coming from, why they're doing it. Scotty, I got to tell you, I never wanted to know all of this. I never wanted to, I was satisfied at one point. I knew enough to know it was slavery, and that was enough for me. But everybody had questions, so I had to learn, like you did too. And the more I learned, the worse it got. I'm sure many can say that same thing. We'll spend a lifetime learning. Yeah, and man, I'm sure so, um, we won't really understand all of it until our ancestors or the people who come after us write the books. Yeah, that's what I just want wanted to reiterate, you know, to the listeners. And I'm glad that Tony brought up, you know, the whole point of some people wanting to migrate to Africa and what have you. But I, I know we know because we report on this, what could be waiting for you and that our brothers and sisters over there are being victimized by this same system. We in the belly of the beast. Who knows how, how how we might turn the tide if we behind these enemy lines can do our damage behind these enemy lines to slavery and end it. But it is a global system, just like people say about white supremacy. White supremacy, slavery, slavery is a global system, man. And it's just terrible. It's just terrible that we see places like Brazil and we see places like like Africa where it's predominantly melanated people and slavery is existing. That's just that what why how do we explain that? I guess people not yeah, realizing what it is. Immediately after the Haitian earthquake, one of the first things that happened was money was put aside for the geo group to go over there and build prisons as economic development programs. It's one of the things they do. They will teach black people how to hunt black people for profit. And they'll take all the money for it. It's kind of like what I call, you know, uh, officers of color in these past few generations, the neo-slave catchers, because prior to that, it was all white guys. Now we got black and brown and yellow, and you're all doing the bidding of white supremacy. But we got the whole pie for you laid out today. Uh, we did it in 2015 when they came out with it, and we're going to go over it a little bit today. We put it on our new Abolitionist Radio Facebook page for you to be able to review. I know our researchers have been looking forward to information like this. Uh, prisonpolicy.org has put it together for us. Uh, Scotty, would you like to cover it? Have, have you seen it? 
Oh no, Max, you can go. You can go into it, man. I'm telling you, man, my I'm starting to lose my voice, right. but I'll chime in with you right, know right. where I'm needed. Well, this was released by Peter Wagner and Bernadette uh, Raboy, March 14, 2017. I'll read some parts of it. I'll leave it up to you to read the rest. Uh, it says, wait, does the United States have 1.3 million or more than 2 million people in prison? Are most people in the state and federal prisons locked up for drug offenses? Frustrating questions like those abound because our systems of confinement are so fragmented and controlled by various entities. There is a lot of interesting and valuable research out there, but varying definitions make it hard for both people new to criminal justice and for experienced policy wonks to get the big picture. This report offers some much-needed clarity by piecing together this country's disparate systems of confinement. The American criminal justice system holds more than 2.3 million people. Now, I'm just going to pause it there. I want to point out something real quick for you. That's a static number. Uh, nearly a quarter of a million people go in and a quarter of a million people come out every year. So those bodies are changing all the time. It's not a 2.3 million monster. It is millions upon millions constantly going through there. Anyway, 2.3 million people in uh, 1,719 state prisons, 102 federal prisons, 901 juvenile correction facilities, my God, they got a lot of juvenile correction facilities. 3,163 local jails and 76 Indian country jails, as well as in military prisons, immigration detention facilities, civil commitment centers, and prisons in the U.S. territories. And we go deeper to provide further detail on why people are locked up in all of those different types of facilities. And that, indeed, they do, with a big old pie chart for you to see. Uh, for example, the question arises, how many people are locked up in the United States? And they show you that immigration detention has 41,000, Indian country has 2,500, military has 1,400, civil commitment, I don't even know what the hell that is. But civil commitment has 6,400, uh, territorial prisons has 13,000, and uh, technical violations, six thousand. You know, they tell you the whole thing why people are in there. And it says that while this pie chart provides a comprehensive snapshot of our correctional system, the graphic does not capture the enormous churn in and out of our correctional facilities and the far larger universe of people whose yes, far larger universe of people whose lives are affected by the criminal justice system and will be at the Millions for Prisoners March on August 19, 2017. Every year, 641,000 uh, 6, people walk out of the prison gates, but people go to jail over 11 million times each year. Jail churn is particularly high because most people in jails have not been convicted. Some have just been arrested and will make bail in the next few hours a day and others are too poor to make bail and must remain behind bars until their trial. Only a small number, 187,000 on any given day, have been convicted, generally serving misdemeanor sentences under a year. And, you know, they have the chart here which shows you one in five incarcerated people are locked up for a drug offense. One in five for a freaking drug offense, usually for personal possession. This uh, detailed report goes in and then make sure you take a look at it and read through it. They also talk about plea bargains and what is murder and what is a violent offense and how they actually apply to prisoners being sentenced. 
Uh, they're particularly going a little bit about those plea bargains and how, you know, the six Yeah, I was looking at that, Max. This because of that. I was looking at the jail. I was looking at the jail portion, um, and I'm looking at four hundred and forty three thousand not convicted, not convicted, not convicted of anything yet. You know, but like you were just alluding to with that, the way that the plea bargain process, a lot of them are probably sitting in there because they ain't accepted a deal yet. Or their family can't afford to pay the bail, you know, the ransom. I'll just call it the ransom because that's what it is. But that really stands out to me. And then when it talks about the federal prison most locks up more people for drug offenses, well, that piece of the pie about to get larger because Jeff Sessions just gave a speech on it saying that people making excuses and we need to go back to the days of Nancy Reagan and just say no. So they about to expand that, people. Indeed they are, man. The numbers on there are just frightening when you start looking at it. And again, like they said, there's a churn going on. This is this is a machine, and the prisons are like the crossroads with the bodies all bunched together as they're going in and out. And if you could see it as a body from above, you could see it pulsing like the heart of slavery right there as people are ushered in and out and in and out for generations, for decades, on and on and on. And every single one of them is creating a massive economy that the people who are involved in these prison constructions and everything from the, the initial uh, meeting with a policeman to the sentencing to the after sentencing care and probation, all of them mm-hmm. are living off of this. Yep, they sure are. Um, another uh, uh, another thing, though, um, Max, that I was thinking about the other day as it um, – as it relates to that, man, I'm I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought looking at these statistics, man. I'm now I'm looking at the the most incarcerated youth are locked up for nonviolent offenses. Yep, a yeah. lot of them just for violation uh, of probation violations, like technical violations. Right, so right back in. Black codes again. Black codes. When I see these, uh, what is this one category? Let me move back up. Uh, other public order. What is other public order? I don't know. What 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 is that? What homelessness, vagrancy, like Mark Lamont Hill was talking about? Because we have reported on the uh, um um you had uh different politicians like at the uh, city level talking about locking up these people man criminalizing the poor even more criminalizing the homeless and putting them in jail but so that people don't get the wrong idea about the new abolitionist movement we are not tied to any kind of political party and I was looking at the statistics the other day in relation to uh, women, since it was International Women. I mean, excuse me, the other day was International Women's Day. This is supposed to be Women's Month, and on the first day I had of this month, I put out that statistic showing that women are the fastest growing uh, demographic since 1985 of prison prison slaves, and two thirds of them that's in the state jails are mothers. They have minor children. 
So, I mean, it just reminds me of, of it, the stories we read about 1865, prior to 1865, that period of slavery and the breakup of the family, the black family especially. Well, of course, we were talking about black people prior to 1865 uh, specifically, um, but that continues the breakup of the families through the, through slavery, through modern slavery and human trafficking. Now, Here's the reason why you shouldn't allow yourself on this issue of slavery to become bogged down into part of partisan political theatrics because the fast, the largest growth that I saw since 1985 in both the federal and state prisons was during the administration of your last CEO of USA Inc., a Democratic administration. So this ain't no partisan issue. It ain't the Republicans it all by themselves. They got plenty of allies they reaching across that aisle with in the Democratic Party. Steve, Scotty, uh, we documented right here in 2012 where the uh, GEO group and the other prisons that were managing the immigration centers were deciding whether or not to close down some of their facilities because they were empty. Like there was nobody in them. And then suddenly there was this rush of immigrants based on a rumor. And the very first thing that happened was President Obama gave $3.7 billion to these private prison industries. Remember that, Scotty? And then all of a sudden they had this quota going on. It was the prisons. minimum going on. Wasn't it MTC they got busted going across the border actually bringing? People across yeah, saying that literally. oh Obama gonna give y'all amnesty. Come on across and and these were prison people working for the prisons. They were filling those beds, which the taxpayer was paying for, and snatching that money out of thin air by putting those gold bars, also known as human beings, into their bank vaults. Well, you know that leads into our next story, and we got. I got like at least three that I certainly want to get through before the night is out, uh, particularly this being one of them. It's huge. It's historic. Uh, it's one of the first times that anything like this has happened since 1800. And that is, uh, this story comes from the Beast, Daily Beast, but it's titled Detainees to Private Prison for Forced Labor. As many as 60,000 current former detainees may join a class action suit against one of the nation's largest private prison companies over unpaid labor. Before I even tell you this story, I want everybody who has been incarcerated or is incarcerated and employed while you're incarcerated, including my son who is making freaking bakery goods for 32 cents an hour, I want you to consider becoming a part of this class action lawsuit and expanding it. Uh, Scott, have you got this up by any chance? No, I don't, but I'm familiar with the story because um, I believe we might have reported on it. Um, I may have reported okay. on it, but um, no, I don't have it up in, in front of me uh, right now, but I just want to echo the point that you just made. If anybody listening has been enslaved by the GEO group, you need to become part of this class action lawsuit. The thing that troubles right. me is the way it's being framed as immigrants only. When we know it's more than undocumented immigrants in these prisons. And well, I, Ben said we're immigrants. 
<laughs> whatever. <laughs> but but I mean, this is a law. This is a type of lawsuit that should have been filed a long time ago by, let's just say, somebody like the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Yep. This is a lawsuit that should have been filed a long, long time ago with the rise of the private prisons or the expansion of them in the 1990s during um, uh, the Clinton administration. There should have been a lawsuit that this is slavery. And, and you know, again, I will be following this case pretty closely. Um, let me pull it up. I got it up now, Max. Um, detainee Sue private historic. Yeah, detainees sue private prisons for forced labor. As many as 60,000 current and former detainees may join a class action lawsuit against one of the nation's largest private prison companies over unpaid labor. Look, Geo Group ain't just one of the nation's largest. It's the second largest, and it's the second largest in the world. Again, these people do not just operate here in the United States. Geo Group took over Australia's entire prison system. This is international, folks. Ain't no running from slavery. It's coming for you. So what we gonna do? On Monday, a federal judge ruled that current and former detainees held at an immigrant detention center in Colorado can join a class action lawsuit against Geo Group, a private prison company. The plaintiffs allege that the Geo Group forced detainees to work for extremely low wages or for no wages at all, and in some cases threatened detainees with solitary confinement, which is torture, as punishment if they refuse to work. The center holds undocumented undocumented immigrants facing deportation. This is the first lawsuit of its kind in the history of the United States, said Andrew Free, one of the plaintiff's attorneys. This is the first time that a private prison company has ever been accused of forced labor. And this is the first time that a judge has ever found that the claims can go forward under the Trafficking Victims Protection Act and the bans in federal law on Force labor. See, there are some laws on the books, and see, this is why this case is particularly interesting because it's going to come out one of two ways. It's either these these plaintiffs are going to win their case, and well, it's still going to have the same outcome either way it go. They're either going to win their case, thus proving that slavery and human trafficking is alive and well, or the defendants are going to win. And they're going to use the 13th Amendment to defend themselves and say we ain't doing nothing illegal because the supreme law of the land say if you are convicted of a crime, we can make a slave out of you. This is a very, very important case, but either way, either way that it comes down is evidence that slavery and human trafficking is alive and well. And again, I want to reiterate, why is this just limited to immigrants? If I had ever been in prison, I will tell you right now, I, you know, maybe I need to talk to my little brother. They made 10 years of slave out of him on a wrongful conviction, had him working on a turkey farm here in North Carolina for slave wages. But we need we need uh, uh, people who are here, who are born here, live here, whatever, the most victimized by this system we need to be attacking them in this same manner. So maybe we maybe we need to contact 
these particular employees because again i want to say that you know um it's just a shame that that these old civil rights organizations have not filed similar lawsuits against this against slavery so those those are my thoughts on it um geo group rejects the allegations we have consistently strongly refuted these allegations and we intend to continue to vigorously defend our company against these claims pablo payes a spokesman for the company told the daily beast the volunteer work program at immigration facilities as well as the wage rates and standards associated with the program are set by the federal government. Our facilities, see again, the 13th Amendment allows this. Our facilities, including the Aurora, Colorado facility, are highly rated and provide high-quality services in safe, secure, and humane residential environments pursuant to the federal government's national standards. Well, I can tell you that's a lie right there, and we got the stories in the archives five years' worth to prove that they are lying. Ain't nothing safe about these places, and ain't nothing humane about them either. So, but in the ruling, Judge John Kane granted a motion for class certification, meaning attorneys are assigned to sue on behalf of all detainees held at the facility since October the 22nd, 2004. So again, if you're not an undocumented immigrant and you've been in a GO facility since October the 22nd or at any time, you know, going back to October the t- 22nd 2004 you need to contact these people and say i want to be a part of this lawsuit because it should not just be limited to undocumented workers geo group has quote unquote uh american citizens that they housing uh california comes to mind when the supreme court told california you have to reduce the prison population due to overcrowding what did california do to get around that they went to the geo group and we got advanced notice of that because we spy on their calls. <laughs> you got an image of the uh, the two spies going on in my head now, man. <laughs> but you know, Scotty, you're right, and they need they are listening. The prisons across the country, I have it on good authority. Trust, they hear what we're saying right now, and for the end of this night, it will be a, a topic of conversation. You need to get in on this, for sure, if you're hearing our voice right now. And if you can reach out to somebody, let them know. We need to turn this from 60,000 immigrants to something like 260,000 plaintiffs altogether, if not more. California has as many as 33 factories built within its prisons, 70 prisons. And they're using uh, slave labor to fight forest fires, as many as 4,000 people a year, including juveniles. Yeah, you know, your 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 newest of, senator. This all over. Your mm-hmm. newest. What's her name? Kamala Harris. Your newest person Kamala of Harris, color, yeah. uh, a Democratic U.S. senator who's been quoted noted as a rising star in the Democratic Party while she was the Attorney General of California, argued in that very same case that we can't let all these people go. What will we do? We will deplete our cheap labor pool. They actually argued this in the Supreme Court. A billion dollars. She said they would lose a billion dollars by paying people for the jobs they were doing. 
And uh, I want to read something, Scotty, that shared with you in particular, uh, just so you know that the brothers and sisters out there listening to us. I got this message, and I asked if I could share it. Uh, uh, I guess as they said yes, it means I can let these particular names out. It says, Max, I'm inside, working directly with Kinetic, Dottie, Racing, etc. also Queen Dara, and all supporters of our movement. I am following the dialogue and need to tell you that you have our full support. We are organizing along the lines for 8-19-17. It's unprecedented and will further enlighten society on the 13th Amendment. I have seen so many instances of individuals trying to criticize and denigrate our movements when they do nothing, nothing but talk. They haven't been tearing shit up and aren't going to start all of a sudden now. We know this and we understand these lip services. We stand in solidarity, and the doors, doers are not the talkers. Much respect, Max. So when they're saying Max, they're saying Scotty. They're saying Johanna, because this is all of them. I thought you might like to hear that from them. They're here, and they're working with us. Oh, most certainly, most certainly. And they have my utmost uh, respect, because for years we had, when we first started, we were asking people on the inside, to start recognizing your circumstances, slavery. And they did their own research and they came to the same conclusion and they've been mobilizing. So I'm in solidarity with them. The whole purpose of this program when we started it five years ago was to bring light to the very real victims. And so I, I just want them to know, you know, I'm in solidarity with them 100%. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think I'm going to skip the the uh, Missouri stories, and I'll give you just the overview. But I want to really get on a couple more victories that we're having. You know, we're stirring the pot. Discovery is necessary. People need to start looking into this deeper than just the reform perspective. And it's happening with these lawsuits and these RICO charges. And all of these things that you see are coming together now to create the environment that is necessary for a march against Washington in August. So in this story, and I'll share them on New Abolitionist Radio, where debtors' prisons are illegal in America, but in Missouri, you can get locked up in one anyway, and we have witness testimony as to that. Also, uh, Missouri just got hit with a lawsuit over inadequate funding for defense attorneys. Because, see, you know, it's a process. They don't want you to get out, so why the hell would you need a defense attorney? The idea is not for you to be defending yourself. The idea is to go through this system. So they're hit with a lawsuit over there. Again, our warriors are at it. Word warriors are at it. And also two years after Ferguson, a report has come out that shows that Missouri cops are still shaking people down. Even the ACLU nationwide has put out this bulletin that says Missouri ranks 49 out of 50 states funding public defense services. We need reform to ensure all Missourians are treated fairly. Your income should never determine your ability to defend yourself in court. That amazing, Scotty. Like Missouri is like just doing everything it could possibly do, even criminalizing children. As we reported here January 1st, they can now prosecute a seven-year-old for having a schoolyard fight as a felony. Yeah, and they also, didn't they also pass the uh, Slavers Bill of Rights or something to protect slavers, uh, slave catchers, I mean? Yes, yes, indeed. 
uh, you're talking about the Blue Lives Bill. Yeah, to turn, yeah, 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 to turn uh, any mm-hmm. kind of resisting arrest or assault into a hate so crime. A hate crime, right? It's only hate crime. Man, Missouri, I don't know what the hell is on your mind, but my people in Missouri right now, the, the sufferers, have hope and be with us on this August 19th. Get there if you can. Um, with the Missouri overview out of the way, and give me some time, I'll get the links up at some point. I want to go on to these quick victories because we still got two segments that are very important today, particularly because of the date. And I just want to share this victory here from the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. You know, they've been kicking behind lately, but they helped to get rid of the for-profit private probation companies in Alabama that were exploiting people through their probation companies. They had offices in 115 different cities in Alabama, and all of them are gone under RICO charges. They had to get out of Dodge, and I believe we can do that across the entire country as well. So this is another victory. It says the SPLC has reached settlement with Alexander City, Alabama, and its police chief to resolve a federal class action lawsuit over the operation of a modern-day debtor's prison in which people were jailed for being too poor to pay fines and court fees for traffic tickets and misdemeanors. That's how it starts. And I just want to point out a little bit of clarity here. They're not being jailed because they're poor. It's not like, we hate poor people, let's get them. They're unable to defend themselves. And it doesn't matter whose body it is. If the body is in a cell, it's worth a paycheck. Somebody gets a job because of that. So that's the reason right there. They are the most uh, vulnerable. To continue, the settlement has been preliminarily approved by the U.S. District Court in Montgomery. The court will hold a final hearing in August to decide whether to formally approve the agreement. In a town where almost 30% of the population lives below the poverty line, at least 190 impoverished people were jailed for non-payment within a two-year period. The SPLC, with Coast Council Patterson Belknap, Webb, and Tyler, filed suit to stop the abuse in September of 2015. The lawsuit describes multiple violations of the U.S. Constitution and Alabama law. Let me repeat that because this is happening all over the country, and it's not a topic of of discussion when we're out here talking about the Constitution all the time. The lawsuit describes multiple violations of the U.S. Constitution and Alabama law. Somebody needs to enforce these violations of our most sacred law. Hundreds of impoverished residents have faced unconstitutional and unjust treatment in Alexander City simply because they were too poor to pay fines and fees, said Sam Brooks, SPLC Deputy Legal Director. The shuttering of this modern-day debtor's prison, along with the monetary award, brings justice to many of the people who were unfairly targeted for being poor. In the terms of the settlement, the city and its insurer will pay $680,000. The class members, 190 people who were jailed for non-payment between September 8, 2013 and September 8, 2015, will be compensated at least $500 a day for each day that they were illegally jailed. It goes on to much more detail right there. You should check it out on New Abolitionist Radio once we get it up there. 
and uh, read the entire story, but this is a big victory. And I repeat for this, what I repeated for the last one. Everybody should be getting on this train. We can win this. It's happening all over the country. We already know we have the Department of Justice reports to prove it. All you got to do now is start the lawsuit. Scotty? Sorry, I had myself uh, muted. Um, well, you know, I really had to take my hats off to you and Johanan because y'all came up with the ideal of doing the series Ferguson is America after we examine that um, Ferguson report and noted in that report it talked about violations of federal law, but they didn't name what federal law. So we came to the conclusion that these are RICO charges. This is what they talking about, that they're not prosecuting on. They want, I mean, what good is it for you to say somebody committed a crime, but then you don't prosecute them? You give them a little slap on the wrist and get them to sign a piece of paper agreeing to not do it anymore. But the SPLC, I can't say for certain if they had heard our analysis of that report of which birthed the uh, um, America is Ferguson series, but it's exactly what we talked about. It, it, uh, and and so it's just good to see that what we were theorizing about actually be put into action and then be successful. So again, this thing, yeah, man, that that's just great. And it not only, didn't it have an impact on other cities because that company was op- operating in other cities as well? I mean, outside of that state, right? Yes, but I can't say for certain which cities at this point. Yeah, I I do remember reading that they had to shut down their operations in other cities, but I didn't see any other other cities named in that. So, you know, there is, like Max, we've talked about, death by a thousand paper cuts. All right, so here is a legal um, tool in the toolbox that people can start using to go after these police departments. Stop going, relying on the Justice Department. Well, you can hang that up now because Jeff Sessions said he going to let them let them slave catchers run buck wild on you. So well, you can't turn to them because he said he ain't spending no money investigating these police and trying to tell these police how to do their jobs. So what you going to do then? Well, that leaves it upon you. That leaves it upon you to take them to court and sue them on RICO charges and these and, and, and mm-hmm. these and using these other legal strategies. I, I just don't. I, I mean, again, I'm not trying to say we shouldn't file complaints with the federal government. That's just protocol. You do want to get your complaints on record, and then you could say, you know, well, we asked you to do this, you didn't do that. So here's the outcome, whatever that outcome may be. You want to ignore the problem? Then this gonna be the outcome. All right, you telling these slave catchers it's a free-for-all on us? Well, at the same time, you telling the victims that it's a free-for-all on the slave catchers because ain't nobody, because it's just complete lawlessness in this land. All right, but again, for the legal community out there, this, these are, these, they laying out, they have already shown you that you can attack this system through the courts in this manner. So that's what I got to say about it. Hey, Scotty, if you can, I need you to go to the uh, post that says, in fight over bail, fairness, sheriff joins critics. 
like, Cam, open up the video in there. You make it a pop-up advertisement first, so be wary of that. Say, say that long, again. What's the name like of it? To hear it. What? It's, it's, titled, it's on the new Abolitionist radio page and our programming page. It says, In Fight Over Bale's Fairness. Got it. A sheriff joins the critics. Got it. I'm and pulling it up now. Up, set up. Um, this is one of the things we've been talking about. People, we're setting precedents here. Every day we're making history. We're winning these fights and providing you with the tools collectively that you can use together. So just as we said, you can get in on these class action lawsuits because you have been victimized by this. That would only make the case stronger. The same thing applies to these fights over bail. Bail is only, cash bail is only used in two nations on the entire planet. Everybody else thinks it's unethical, immoral, unjust to allow somebody to be held uh, extorted for cash, not to be able to get out simply because they never can get enough money. So a Khalif brother spends three years in prison because his mother, who's suffering from heart failure, can't get together $900. Well, even the police is sick of it. And there's several police who have stood up to this here in this story from Houston. And this video lets you hear exactly how these callous, uh, inhuman, racist, white supremacist, demonic judges decide to keep you in there longer and to extort you for more. Go ahead, Scott. Uh, I scared though. So you're charged with trespass. Your Honor, uh, the suspect was found under a freeway or in a freeway underpass where there are no trespassing and no camping signs. I'm setting your bond at 5000 Are you going to be asking for a court-appointed attorney? Yes, sir. All right. Silly question for me. <laughs> yeah. You've got to sleep under a bridge, poor gentleman. Can't afford a lawyer, that's for sure. Do you have any place else to live if I consider you for a personal bond? No, sir, I don't. Right. Your bond will stay at $1,500. I have to deny your personal bond. Would you like a lawyer to help you? You're going to hire your own. What? What is a personal bond? A personal bond is where you have a, a place to stay. You just told me you don't have any other place to stay, so I'm not going to consider you for personal bond. Do you want oh, a lawyer to help you? My, do you want a lawyer to help you with this or not? Yes, I do. I can stay I'll my girlfriend. for a lawyer. Go ahead and step to your left. Are you requesting a court-appointed lawyer? I guess, sir. Give me a yes or a no. Yeah. Give me a yes or a no. Yeah. I asked a question that calls for a yes or a no. I don't expect anything but a yes or a no. Not a mm-hmm, maybe I, so, or a yeah, or anything else, yeah. or something. Okay. I heard what you said. Your bond just went up to $2,000. You're sure trying to mislead me, aren't you? bond just went up to $3,500. I was going to set it at ten, but I think I probably ought to set it at fifty. Either you got another place to stay, or you're going to stay in jail. Currently, I'm mostly uh, living out of my car. A little too unstable for personal bond. So I'm setting the bond as well it's as low as it goes, five hundred dollars. That's my it. God. That's it, Scotty. Man. My God, man, did you hear these devils? The first guy was homeless. Where the hell are you gonna get five thousand dollars from? No, let's just assemble line and write him to the prison, make some money, come on in the jail. 
And, and then the woman after that was a black woman after that. And because she didn't answer Massa just right away, Massa likes to be answered, her bail went up to 2000 And then 3500 Oh, my God, Scotty. That's the wickedness. That's the wickedness that's at the root of this system. See, we oftentimes when we talk about these systems, it's like we're talking about, you know, this this thing that it's like a machine. And yes, it is a machine, but the parts of this machine are human beings, evil, nasty people like you just heard on that on that video. Oh, you don't want to say. No, I'm just saying, you know, the woman didn't understand where she said, where he was like, well, if you got an address, then, you know, we can let you out on a personal bond. And so then when she finally clicked and she tried to give an address, oh, he didn't want to hear it then. This is sick, man. The people, y'all need to go watch that video. And look and take a look at the victims too. Take a look at the victims as well. And this goes directly to what I hey, this goes directly to what I said earlier about over the years we've been reporting on the criminalization of the homeless. Yep. Yes, sir. And you know, this story uh comes out of Houston. It's a lawsuit. Uh the defendants of the courts and the judges. Isn't that a twist of fate? And it says it was an awkward scene for officials of Harris County, Texas, who are defending themselves in federal court against the claim that they keep poor defendants locked up just because they can't afford bail. On Wednesday, a judge and the county sheriff testified for the other side. When most of the people in my jail are there because they can't afford the bond out, and when those people are disproportionately black and Hispanic, that's not a rational system, said Sheriff Ed Gonzalez, who was elected after the case was filed. Kudos to him. I mean, the, the court is on trial, Scotty. <laughs> you gotta love it, man. And if we can win this, we can win it everywhere. Maybe reparations will come through lawsuits. Yeah, on that whole issue of reparations, again, I like to say to the... I'm just saying, Scott. On that that issue of reparations, again, I like to say to the reparations uh, community or the reparations movement that we need y'all on board with ending slavery, too. Because for too long... I've been hearing y'all talk about slavery in past tense, and you're trying to get some some reparations for some slavery that happened when you wasn't even alive because it was your ancestor and all this and that. And yes, there is a bill that is past due that needs to be paid for that. But at the same time, though, what about you know the slavery that's happening right now? Right now, yes. Yeah. Yes. Stop talking you know, about it in past tense. You know, Tribal Rain and I were the first abolitionists to walk into the Avery Institute for Black History since its founding in 1865. And we came by, this in Charleston, South Carolina, and we came by invitation and we sat there and we educated the educators who had stopped collecting artifacts on slavery and human trafficking, thinking that it had been abolished in 1865. We enlightened them on the 13th Amendment 
as well as the modern-day slavery system, and they told us that at that, that time they would start to continue to collect artifacts and history on slavery. Man, it's a hell of a paradigm shift from what you're used to, that's for sure. But we're winning some fights, and we need you to get on board. Uh, these class action lawsuits are going to wreck this system. And by the time we get there in August, they are going to be bleeding profusely. Of course, I mean that in a uh, metaphoric way. Well, Scotty, we got about 10 minutes left. I want to get in these last two real quick uh, of our segments. Uh, you're already right, moving on with the first one? Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get this comment from Tony. Tony, you have something you want to add? Oh, okay, Tony. Yes, yeah, about the class action lawsuits. Um, I just want to try and get a little bit more information about that because my brother is, you know, enslaved right now. And um, the links are available on New Abolitionist Radio, brother. Just call up the attorneys and talk to them. Uh, start. Uh, lobbying them to be accepted and if you can't get them to do it then find attorneys in your own area uh, who are willing to follow suit in, in that story that, form that has been developed in that story it okay. names an organization but I can't remember the name of the organization that's helping them do it uh, yeah, that's thanks a lot brother you're welcome indeed brother indeed um, I want to go on to our next Next segment, I know I'm rushing through this, I'm sorry, but these are just really important stories because this particular man was released today after 30 years in prison for a murder he did not commit. And he is our 21st century writer of the Underground Railroad. Uh, Los Angeles, it's from the San Francisco Chronicle, says Los Angeles AP. The Los Angeles judge Wednesday ordered the release of a man who spent more than three decades in prison for murder after prosecutors conceded he did not get a fair trial. Deputy District Attorney Erica Jerez said during in a superior court that there were errors in the case against Andrew Leander Wilson, now 62. Judge Laura Priver thanked the DA's office for seeing that justice was done, granted a motion to dismiss the case, and then told Wilson he was discharged. Wilson, his head bowed, wearing a blue prison jumpsuit, quietly said, thank you, to the judge. She replied, you are welcome, Mr. Wilson. He maintained his innocence since his arrest in 1984 for the killing of a 21-year-old Christopher Hansen who was stabbed in Los Angeles while sitting late at night in a park pickup with his girlfriend. A bailiff uncovered Wilson immediately, but he was not expected to be released from custody until later Wednesday or Thursday. So he may be walking out right now, for all we know. Wilson will travel as soon as he can to St. Louis to visit his 96-year-old mother, Margie Davis, who was a tireless advocate for his innocence over the decades, said lawyer Paula Mitchell. Reached by phone in St. Louis, Davis says she was elated to get the news that her son, after 30 years, was at long last dismissed. I wrote latest letters to the governor, to the police, to the Justice Department. I wrote to everybody over 30 years, she said. The system we're living in. You never know what's going to happen, but I never gave up. Mitchell said before the hearing that numerous due process violations recently came to light that showed Wilson did not receive a fair trial. 
She pointed particularly to a weeks-long delay before police began canvassing for suspects with Hanson's girlfriend, Saladina Bishop, who was 17 at the time. Bishop was the prosecution's only eyewitness. Among missteps by the prosecution was the suppression of evidence that Bishop previously filed a false police report accusing another man of rape. According to the court papers filed by Mitchell and other attorneys with Loyola Law School's Project for the Innocent, the district attorney office said it would not retry Wilson. Another hearing was set for May 3rd to begin the process to determine whether he is factually innocent, which could lead to compensation claims. Wilson's mother says she wants to make sure her son has some warm clothes. Then she said, there are some chores at her home that need completing. You've got to do the law. And there's some painting, she said. I'm 96. I need help around the house. Uh, we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, my brother, and welcome to freedom. Salute. Most definitely. Uh, that, today, like right now, he's probably walking out, man. Amazing. Um, we have our abolitionists in profile as well. Uh, I don't think I need to read through the whole story, so I want to share with you the highlights of this brother. We've done him here before, but today is his birthday, and we want to say happy birthday. Hey, man, and don't worry about that. We do tonight. we do several of them, several. I mean, we've been doing it for five years. Unfortunately, it just hasn't been that many abolitionists that we know about. Oh. Let me stress that we know about that has been written about for us to do one every you know, every day, uh, every time we come on. So, yeah, we do recycle some of them. But, again, it's still the first time that some people may have ever heard of them. Well, I want to give, first of all, a shout-out to BlackPast.org, who provides a lot of these black abolitionists' profiles that we provide. And I found that there are enough for us to do a different one every day for the next 10 years. But often the only thing left of these abolitionists who fought during the 1800s and, and, and so on are just some of their speeches that they wrote or some of the letters that they wrote with their names on them. And we would, instead of trying to tell you about their whole story, we would limit it to just reading you that one speech because that's all that there is to know about them. And there are hundreds of them I found in alphabetical order that uh, at one point I wouldn't mind sharing some of their stories. And I have done on occasion. But, uh, again, happy birthday David Ruggles. David Ruggles, abolitionist, businessman, journalist, and hydrotherapist, was born in 1810 in Norwich, Connecticut. He attended the Sabbath School for the Poor, which admitted people of color, starting in 1815. In 1827, he left Connecticut. Yes, Scotty? Say, say oh. that again, Max. Were you calling me, Justin? Um, no, that was the next host um, getting ready. Um, so, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. He left Connecticut for New York City, where he operated a grocery store for the next four years. He then quit the grocery business to open his own bookshop in early 34. Ruggles was generally known as the first African-American bookseller. Wow. While working at the bookstore, he extended many publications and prints promoting the abolition of slavery and in opposition to the efforts of the American Colonization Society, which promoted black settlements in Liberia. Ruggles also took the job printing letterpress work, picture framing, and book binding to augment his income. In September 1835, a white anti-abolitionist mob burned his store. 33 Ruggles began travels across the Northeast promoting the Emancipator and Journal of Public Morals, an abolitionist weekly. Ruggles, who wrote articles and pamphlets and gave lectures denouncing slavery and Liberian colonization, made him a figure of rising prominence 
in abolitionist circles in the late 1830s. There's much more to his story, but I would like to end it there and say, again, we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Ancestor David Ruggles, and happy birthday. And we remember you. Salute. Salute. Words, Scotty. I know you got to get ready for the next program, so uh, I want to say thank you to you. I missed uh, being away for a couple of weeks, thanks to Tony Crane and our listeners who tuned in all across the world. Uh, any final comments for the evening? Yes, I would just like to say um, that this problem is not going to go away by itself. It's going to take a bunch of David Ruggles in order to end this problem. Now, I, it's just a shame that they put in all that work only to be betrayed by the federal government and Abraham Lincoln specifically, who allowed these they're supposed to have been traitors. I, I think if you want to, you know, I think they've been described as traitors, but allowed these traitors, welcomed them back with open arms and allowed them to actually help write the amendment that was supposed to abolish slavery. Well, that should give you a clue right then and there that something was up. And so that these these great heroines and, and heroes from uh, abolitionist past like David Ruggles, uh, we, we, we need to finish the work so that what they did was not in vain. Okay. And like, Ma and like Max has often stated that uh, Frederick Douglass, um, who is known uh, internationally as one of the preeminent abolitionists, came to recognize it as what, Max? A stupendous fraud. These people have not ended slavery, y'all, and it's not just affecting us here in the United States. They had their tentacles spread out all over the globe, as we talked about earlier in the system, I mean, in the program. And and so, you know, it, it will be a glorious day when we finally can say that slavery has been abolished once and for all. Amen, Scotty. Um, I'm going to end it real quick just by saying this much. Uh, first of all, right now, go to imweubuntu.com. That's I-M-W-E-U-B-U-N-T-U.com and register yourself or your group as coming to the march so that we can know what's going on on that day. Go to the Facebook page and click Join There Too. This is the defining moment, I think, of our generation and our people and our warriors to do what we need to do. And, you know, I've been saying this since we started. Abolition is the reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, 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 let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you stars our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No matter if the prize is high in the skies or 